Well, we preach in sermon series here. So last week we started a new kind of series, uh, and this is called a sermon I'm about to give you. If you don't know what a sermon series is, that's a church word. And so I'm going to talk to you for the next 30 minutes. Last week, Pastor Jordan started this sermon, this, this series we called In the Face of Fire, uh, where really we're just kind of sharing different stories people had in Scripture, interactions they had with fire. And one of the things that he said that I loved, he said, you know, whatever goes into the fire never comes out the same. And so he started uh, with the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's an Old Testament story. So if you're not a Bible person, the Bible has two parts, the Old Testament, New Testament. We're going to hang out in the Old Testament for a few weeks. He shared a story of three men who kind of gotten taken against their will uh, by this king called Nebuchadnezzar, very evil man. And they tried to indoctrinate them and basically say, your God is nothing, uh, and I am a God. And what Nebuchadnezzar did is he built this statue and said, when the music starts to play, everybody needs to bow down. Everybody needs to worship this statue as if it's God. And if you don't, you'll get thrown in. And these three men decided not to. And then they confronted Nebuchadnezzar, which was unheard of. And they said, listen, if you throw us in this fire, our God will save us. And even if he doesn't, we're still not bound. And, and Pastor Jordan, he asked this question, well, where are the people who have an even if. Like, we follow God often as long as God is doing what we want him to do. But when is the last time you had an even if attitude? Like, even if he doesn't give me what I want, I'm still going to be in church next Sunday. Even though I came this Sunday and I sang his praises and I gave a couple bucks in the offering, even if my week goes bad next week, guess where I'm coming back on Sunday? You're going to find me in church. I have an even if mentality. So, so next week, if you don't want to miss it, we're going to take a look at a guy named Elijah, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you uh, a, a time in Scripture when he had to take a stand uh, for what he believed against everybody else. Like, literally, it was him versus 450, the Bible says, false prophets. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about times in our lives when we get into the fire, and we're called to take a stand. And then the last week, we're going to take a look at the fire of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, and that's kind of where we're going. Uh, today, the title of my message is pretty, pretty simple. Uh, it's Intimidated by the Fire intimidated by the fire. I want to introduce you to a man named Moses this week. We're going to kind of take a look at different Bible characters. And Moses, just to give you a little background, his story is found in the book of Exodus. It's the second book in the Bible. And in the book of Exodus, we're introduced to Moses, and Moses is a slave. That means that he's going to be born as a slave against his will, and he's going to be forced to do labor for the, for the people of, of Egypt, under the control of the Pharaoh, the president of, of Egypt. And so he's born into kind of this, this slavery. And what has happened is the people of God, the Israelites, they ended up in Egypt 400 years earlier. And they had this good relationship with, with Egypt. Uh, but then the Pharaoh passed away and years passed. And instead of them living there in peace, the Pharaoh now had turned them into slaves. And so now there's a million uh, free laborers living in Egypt building their empire what happened is they kept making babies, right? And so they kept making babies, kept making babies, kept making babies. And the Pharaoh began to get intimidated and said, if they keep having kids, they're going to overtake us. And so he made a law. And the law was every newborn baby boy must be murdered. Every Jewish newborn baby boy must be mur murdered. So this is the time that Moses is, is born. He's born as a slave. His mother says, oh, no, you're not going to murder my baby. Like that's in scripture in the, in the Hebrew. And so says, oh, no, puts him in a basket. She handmade, now that's a whole nother story, right? Puts him in a basket and sticks him in the crocodile-infested Nile River and says, no one's going to kill my baby. I'm going to float him off and let God do what he wants to do with him. Well, you're going to see in Moses' life, God's hand is upon him every step of the way. And I want to encourage you today, the same is true for you. 
Maybe you don't understand that, but I promise you at some point, if you continue to follow the purposes and plans of God, you're going to step back and you're going to go, it didn't feel like your hand was on me when you put me in a crocodile infested waters of the Nile River, God. But it was. Because what happened is, is he floats down the river and the princess of Egypt finds him. She does the exact opposite of killing him. She falls in love with him like a little puppy, right? Oh, and brings him in and takes care of him. Actually gets Moses' mom to nurse him until he's weaned off. And then when he's healthy enough to be, a, to be a toddler, this princess takes care of him. And he lives in the palace of the Egyptian pharaoh for 40 years, learns their customs, learns their ways. But something is burning down in, deep inside of him. He has this holy, righteous passion. One day when he was 40 years old, he's walking around and he witnesses this guard uh, herding a, a slave and he loses his mind and he kills the guard and he find, figures out they're going to kill me for killing this guard uh, because I've just overstepped my bounds, right? And so the Bible says that he flees to the wilderness. So the first 40, 40 years of his life, he has the, the, the gold spoon in his mouth and then he ends up in the desert and you think his life is over, but, but it's actually just beginning for he, God is just getting him prepared for his next step. So he goes to the wilderness, he spends another 40 years there, he ends up meeting a man named Jethro. Jethro gives one of his daughters to him, he, he works for Jethro. The Bible says that he works hard enough to make Jethro a very wealthy man. He's 80 years old, he's still working, he's not retired yet from, from herding, he's still working. He's minding his own business, and as an 80-year-old, he comes to this, 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 this image, this sight, this voice in the wilderness that would completely change his, his life. It would completely change the direction of his life. And so I want to read you that story in the book of Exodus chapter 3, verse number 1. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, the place that he would meet God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of a fire from within a bush. Moses saw, saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And so Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Duh, right? Like, why the bush is not burning up? And so, I don't know if you've noticed this, but oftentimes when God speaks to you about something, it starts here. This, this is strange. You want me to do What? You're minding your own business, hurting your flock, right? Making money for your father-in-law. Married his daughter. You're on the run. You're a murderer. You can't go back and see your family because the Pharaoh, who was your, kind of your half-brother, the guy, he's now the boss of the country, and so he's probably looking out for you. Like, like, you can't do that. So you're minding your own business, and you see this strange thing, this what I would call almost intimidating thing. And then the Bible says that the bush began to speak, and so we know it was strange. The Bible says when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Moses, I don't know if that's a good God voice, but that's how I, <laughs> Moses, and Moses said, here I am, do not come any closer. God said, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. He calls it strange, God calls it holy. I think it's both. I think it's strange that a holy God would call a murderer. You see, there, there's moments in your life where not only is it strange, but it's almost as if you should go... I can't believe that a holy God is offering me a chance to do something glorious for his kingdom. Then he said this, do not come any closer, take off your sandals. In verse number six, then he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned 
about their suffering. By the way, God's been silent for 400 years. He's been silent for 400 years, and now he's speaking to a dude on the run in the wilderness through a bush and telling him, you're the person that I'm going to speak to first. I've been silent for 400 years. The Bible says, so I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and with honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hevites, and Jebusites. Whatever, right? And now... The cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians have oppressed them. So now go, watch this, I'm sending you back to Pharaoh. So, so, so go, I've been silent for 400 years, and I'm sending you. And here's the thing. Don't you think there's this moment of complete and sheer, utter intimidation? What? You want me, who's been on the run for 40 years, to go back to the place where I murdered someone and walk into the palace and say, let my people go. There's not somebody, there's a million people there. I'm the only one in the wilderness on the run for murder as I can find. I haven't found a club anywhere. And you want me to go back and you want me, and he is completely intimidated. I don't know if you've ever been there with God. He asks you to do something, and I think that he's always asking us to do something else. There's always the next thing he wants us to do, and sheer intimidation comes into your life. So here's what I want you to do, because many of you are right there. If you're not in the place where God is asking you to do something new, he's taking you to a next level, he's challenging you to make more of a commitment, you're Jesus, right? And you're high right now. And so, like, you are in a season where the voice of God is probably telling you, here's where I want you to go. Here's something new I want you to do. Here's a new career path I want you to take. And it's sheer and utter intimidation. So I want you to do something for me. Maybe take out your phones for a second. Or if you have a pen, I know you have a pen. You got one. I want you to look at your little bulletin you have there. And I want to ask you a question. And I want you to write this down. All right? And for anybody who's not writing it down, you're a liar. So here we go. But what does God want to be different about your life? What does God, like right now, what is something that God wants to be different about your life? This is the situation he's in. You're on the run. I'm sending you back. There's something that I have different. You thought you were going to herd sheep as a runner in the middle of a wilderness, have a couple kids, you know, retire at some point, buy a desert house somewhere, buy a nice camel and something like that, and you were just going to hang out. But I'm changing everything. I'm sending you back to lead my people who have been in slavery for 400 years out. There's something I want to be different about your life. The the second question is this, is how long has it been since God has called you to do it? Because here's what happens. The longer that you wait, the less likely that you'll do it. Can Can I tell you that again? The longer that you wait, the less likely that you'll do it. You see, most people do not struggle with not knowing what to do but rather with not doing what they know they've been asked to do. Most of us will write it down and we'll go, okay, I know God wants me to do this, and he won't stop telling me he wants me to do this because he's not just going to stop. He's not going to go, you know what, never mind, there's another path. There's something very direct that he is calling me to do. Uh, And then what we do is we kind of step back and we go, well, let me think about this. 
Let me dissect what you're saying. Let me talk myself out of this. And you, you with me would, would agree. The longer that you get away from the thing that God is asking you to do, the less likely that you are to do it. So let me, let me, let me describe kind of what's happening and what, what no, Moses is going to kind of struggle with in, in Exodus 3 and 4. Is what happens is when God asks you to do something and, and it's intimidating, what, 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 what starts? Fear. And, and fear is a natural God-given emotion. We don't have to be taught to be afraid, right? Have you ever messed with your kids? It's Halloween time, right? Every store you go in has things that if you have a toddler, you can have some fun with him with. And so a few weeks ago, we walked into Lowe's. They already got the Halloween stuff out. They had these two skeletons, and you know, I pushed my son up to them. And he was kind of playing with them and messing with them and talking to them. And then I took the hand. He was doing something else. I took the hand. I put the hand on his shoulder. He lost his mind. Get off me, you idiot, he says, throws it away from him and like cries. And so what did I do? I just kept looping around the thing and kind of taking him back and all that stuff, having a fun time with him. He's four. He's not going to remember this stuff. But what I was thinking is fear does not need to be taught to us. What happens? God asks us to do something. Fear, immediately fear. When he's saying strange, he's going, I am afraid. I'm afraid that God's talking. I'm afraid of what he's saying. I'm afraid of where he's trying to send me. Fear sets in, and fear is a good thing at some point because fear keeps us away from danger. But here's the problem with fear. Oftentimes, it's the dangerous places that God is calling us to go. Can I, can I tell you that again? We want to serve, you know, a neutered, limp-wristed, wimpy being we call God. We want him to keep us comfortable. We want him to make sure that we can live the American dream, a picket fence, if people get that anymore, if that's cool, a couple car garage, you know, grass that's semi-green, kids that don't get on our nerves too much, a wife or a husband that stays semi-fit, we can put on Instagram with us, like all of those things. We want to live that type of, of life, and the problem is oftentimes we want to stay away from danger, and we're going, God, just keep us safe, God, just keep us safe, God, just keep us safe, and there's times that God says, no, 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 we're going back into danger, and fear kicks in, and fear is good if it's keeping us away from, from things that we're not supposed to be at, but when it's, when it's our calling, when it's our purpose, when it's where God is sending us, fear not only will keep us from protection, but fear will do something that I like to call procrastination. And many of us are stuck in procrastination. It's the space between when God asked and where we're at now. And I would say this. I would say many of God's greatest dreams die on the battlefield of procrastination. There's just things that God wants to do that you wrote it down. What does God want to be different about my life? Boom. Maybe it's, it's giving differently. M maybe it's a different marriage. Maybe it's a different job. M maybe it's move. Maybe God is asking you to go somewhere new. He may maybe after you to go to Africa. That's what I always think. God, I don't know about that. And so, like, maybe God's calling you to, 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 to take a new career path, a, a different, a different ho hobby, a, a different direction, something like that. And you're stepping back and you're going, I, I don't know. Like, I heard you. But I don't know if, if I really heard you. And so I want to walk you through this because I think procrastination is deadly. The longer you wait, the less likely you will to do it. Like, I don't know if you noticed that. If there's something in service we talk about every week and you don't immediately do it, how many of y'all know you're not going to do it? Like, if we talk about forgiveness and you don't immediately get in your car and go, I'm going to strike while the iron's hot, what happens? Monday comes, you're like, you know, I really need to call them and, 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 and forgive them and, and maybe ask for forgiveness, but... It's busy at work. I got to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for lunch. And so uh, I got a meeting. 
Uh, and then Tuesday comes, you're like, yeah, no. And then fi- Sunday comes, and you still didn't do it, and we're on to something else. You're like, good. Like, that's what happens. Procrastination destroys our lives. Moses is here. His life is going to be almost 100% different. God has a purpose and a plan for his life. And he's going to go through two chapters of what I would call some ridiculous procrastination. Isn't it amazing? None of us in here, most of us in here, maybe some of us are, we're not lawyers, but we can lawyer up when it comes to God's will. Like, we, we, don't, we can argue about anything. We can, we can ar- God says that it's blue out, and it's not blue. God says give. He didn't really say that to me. God says go. He didn't, I, don't, I didn't hear him. We turn into to lawyers. So let, me, let me take you through the story, Exodus chapter 3 and, and, and 4. I'm not going to read you the, the, the entire story, but basically what happens is Moses, he basically tries to procrastinate his way out of, of God's will. God says go back, and he spends two chapters arguing with God on why he should not go. In fact, at one point towards the end of chapter 4, he goes, pardon me, God. Because we always try to get like super kind with God, right? Pardon me, God, he says. Can you just send someone else? Like, pardon me, God. Here's the thing about God's plan for your life. The mountain that he is calling you to, t- to take is not getting any smaller by you standing there. It's not. Like, you, you eventually you have to get going. So let me give you three things at all of our campuses that I think deadly procrastination. Some of you, what does God want you to be different about your life? How long has it been since you actually started doing it? Some of you are going to die in that spot. So let me give you three things that deadly procrastination that it, that it kind of goes on. Number one is this, is it thrives on excuses. It, it thrives on, on excuses. There is always an excuse to be made for the reason that you're not doing God's will. My sons are playing soccer. It's $140 a kid to play soccer. They play eight games. That means every game is $20. I did the math in my head. So every game we play, I'm like, if you don't play, I'm not paying. Like, you have to go out, and you have to want to play, and we got to keep score. And I know nobody keeps score anymore, but we're going to keep score. Like, we already had this, this conversation together. Some of y'all are like, I don't believe in score. You, your kids shouldn't play sports then because there is... There's no such thing as winning and li- losing. They're just winning, right? Like, you just want to win. In fact, I sat by a guy yesterday. My, my son Harrison plays, and, and it is almost a joke when they're under, under four. But he had his phone out, and I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm keeping score. Of the four year, under four-year-olds? Yeah, because my grandfather, my, my grandfather wants to know what the score of his great-grandbaby. I'm like, they don't make Americans like Americans anymore, right? <laughs> you want to tweet about something, President Trump? Tweet about that, right? Like, that's... That's America right there. We're going to keep scoring our sports. There's a winner and a loser. And so all this stuff. So, so last game, two weeks ago, the first week that we played, my oldest son's never played before, ever. He went out. I didn't get to watch his game because I was coaching my other son. But he came back. He scored five goals in his first game. I'm like, I'm like listen, we should probably start contacting Stanford. Um, like, I was like, you scored five goals? You're a chip off the old block, just like your mom, right? And so anyway, like... I was excited. He was excited. He, he's never played before. He played basketball last year. I've been telling him for a long time. I'm like, Carter, you're an average-heighted white kid. That's fast. Basketball is probably not in your future, right? Like, <laughs> soccer might be, though. And so, like, he's like, I like soccer. I like all this stuff. Like, I'm like, I'm like, great. So we went back the next week. Uh, and, and I watched his game for a little bit, and it's a little tighter. He's playing defense this time. He hasn't scored any goals. I go, to, I go to Lincoln's game. I'm coaching Lincoln's game, and I see him across from the field come after his game's over. He sits down on one of those, those soccer, soccer chairs that you have. You fold him out, sits down, and I see him kind of crying and holding his ankle. 
And my first thought was not, oh, is he hurt? My first thought is, oh, my gosh, what is he being a baby about now? And so I went over to him, like, what happened? He's like, I hurt my ankle. I'm like, did you win or lose? He's like, we lost two to one. My wife kind of looked at me, rolled her eyes, and I said, what? She said, he came out the last 10 minutes of the game because his ankle was hurt. And I said, your team lost two to one, and you scored five of your six goals the first game, and your team lost two to one, and you were sitting on the sideline with a hurt ankle? I said, are you hurt or are you injured? He started, I don't know how bad it hurts. I said, you're hurt then. You're not injured. Right? And here's how I know he wasn't injured. Because an hour later, during Harrison's boring under-four soccer game, where they run around like chickens with their heads cut off, you know where he was at? He was in the field behind me, running around playing soccer with his friends. And I looked at him after the game, and I said, number one, every game costs $20, son. <laughs> and number two, if any of your teammates saw you at the end of the game running around like you were running around after sitting on the bench like a little sissy boy, right? When your team was losing, they are going to never trust you again. They're going to say you're a horrible teammate. And I said, sorry, but you are just giving me excuses. You didn't want it bad enough. Some of you are going, you're a mean dad. No, 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 no. I'm preparing him for success in life. Because there is always going to be a reason why you shouldn't get up in the morning. There is always going to be a, <coughs> a reason you're too sick to show up. There is always going to be a reason that you don't feel like giving anymore. You're going to start giving and putting God first. And something is always going to break down in your house. There is oh, Excuses are always going to come. Can I get an amen? And here's the problem with it. Is the excuses that you make create an inaccessible distance to God's plan for your life. You cannot get to God's plan on the road that is led through excuses. And so I want to make sure you understand that the first enemy you have, God's going to call you to something, and the first thing you're going to do is you're going to start to make all of these reasons, and it will always be easier to find excuses than it will be to follow God's call on your life. You're going to start tithing, and you're going to find excuses why you can't tithe. And just so you know what that means, that means you take your first 10% and you return it back to God. The complete 10%. The Bible says, test me in this and see if I will not flood open the gates of heaven. Like it's the only time that God calls you to test them. Yet, what do we do? I don't have enough money. I don't have enough of this. I don't have enough of that. I have too many bills. I have too many of this. We make excuses. Just, just call it what it is. It's, it's excuses. God's calling me to do something. It's strange. Actually, holy, it's kind of intimidating. Fear kicks in, and all of a sudden, we're afraid of, of, of not having what we need, and we're afraid of all these things, and we're intimidated, and we start to procrastinate. I'll start tithing and putting God first when this happens in my life, when my books get in order, when my stuff stops breaking, when my water heater stops breaking, when my, when my, 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 my refrigerator stops breaking, when Audis lowers their price some more, when cars get cheaper, when gas comes down, when health insurance gets cheaper, then I'll start putting God first. No, 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 no. Just say it. Excuses. Come on. It's, it's, it's excuses. And I, I struggle with it just like, just like you do. I mean, I'll eat healthy and then, then excuses set in. It's too expensive to eat healthy. So I have to eat this $1.99 cereal. It tastes like peanut butter and M&Ms and licorice. And that's all I could find because it was cheap. I would, I would eat healthy or I would work out, but I don't got enough time. Just say, it's, it's excuses. How about, how about people in relationships? I would not be dating the person that I'm not supposed to date, but they're the only person that I can find. It's excuses, right? 
I would commit to my walk with Christ on Sunday. I would do everything that I can to be at church. And then what happens? Excuses. Excuses come in. Excuses make God's will inaccessible. I want to show you what, what Moses does because he is the king of excuses. Well, listen to what he does. He spends two chapters giving God excuses. In Exodus chapter 3, I'm just going to read four verses to you. Verse number 11, it says, But Moses says to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring out the Israelites? What, what is he saying? Who am I? Like what? Hello, God. I have no education. I'm a herder of animals. I work for my father-in-law. Talk about a dead-end job, right? Didn't go to school nowhere. Like you're calling the wrong person. Who, who am I? Some of you there is God. You feel God speaking to you. Start this business. Go this direction. Move this place. You know, make this sacrifice. And you're going, you know, I hear him. But there has to be somebody else better qualified. Listen, there is nobody better qualified to do the very thing that God has called and created you to do than you. If not you, then, then who? I say it to me all the time, to myself all the time. There's lots of times where I want to make excuses about being up in the Orientalist and pastor in the church. And then I hear, I hear the voice of God saying, if not you, then who? If not you, then who? Although on days like this, I think, God, this is great, man. It's 85 degrees in September. And so Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, Moses says again to God, Moses says to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, what is his name? I don't even know your name. It's Mr. Bush, Burning Bush. <laughs> what am I supposed to say to them? Show up in the middle of a... Of a a bush on a mountain with my, the only person with me is my sheep. I'm going to bring one of them as the witness. Tell them. Right? Excuses. Then in verse number four, he just keeps going, right? Because God won't stop. God won't stop. He says this in verse number one. Moses answered, what if they did not believe me or listen to me? And they say to me, prove it that the Lord, the Lord appeared to you. Prove it. Like, we've been here for 400 years, and you're telling me you, the murderer, are the person that God has called to come back and speak on our behalf and lead us out of, out of Egypt. And then he says this in verse number 10. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow in speech and of tongue. Many people think Moses had a speech impediment. Of all the people in the world, there's a million people. I can herd you some sheep if you want me to for the glory of God. You want me to go back and talk to Pharaoh? I have a speech impediment. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to stutter my way through it. And he's going to laugh at me. And here's what I want you to do with your excuses from now on. I got a quote for you. Ready? Go something like this. Write it down. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it with me. It feels good. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Just go do it. Just get it done. Just go after the things that God is calling you to do. Don't let the distance keep you from doing it. Procrastination. Here's two more real quickly. Two more real quickly. I think are important. It, it believes that timing is, is everything. Procrastination. It, it believes that timing is everything. Can I, can I just tell you? There has never been a perfectly calm time to do anything at this church or in my life up to this point. I'm still waiting on it. 
There has never been a perfectly calm time in my life where I've said, oh, obviously, and this is what Christians do because Christians are well-meaning. And so they get the coffee cups, they get the bumper stickers, they memorize scripture verses. They don't know what's before or after, but they know the one scripture verse. And so they memorize that. They don't know context. And so all these things happen. And they'll say, well-meaning Christians will say stuff, well, just pray about it. And if you feel a peace, then you should do it. And if you don't feel peace, then you shouldn't do it. And what I want to tell you about those people, it says the person who's doing nothing for the kingdom of God. Because that is the only time you feel peace. I always feel peace when I'm sitting on my butt, right? Let me get my spiritual legs, man. Pull the back, put on the bed, the game. Eagles are going to win the Super Bowl. My dream. It's my dream. Have my cup of popcorn. I feel comp- all of my kids' voice boxes have been taken out, right? They're calm. They sit. When we watch TV, they just sit still. Like, of course you feel peace. That's not real life. So, so many people go, you know, I'm just waiting for the perfect conditions. I'm waiting for the perfect peace that surpasses all. Listen, the peace of the Bible is not peace that keeps you from storms. The peace of the Bible is peace in the midst of storms. There's a difference. It's when you can look at life and go, I gave that money and all this stuff just broke. Happened this week to me. Did this, something breaks in my house. Water pump. 1985, it went in. What? This week, God? Like, like, stuff like that happens. But you know what? We step back and we go, God's got this. I got peace. Peace is not the absence of conflict. And so what happens to so many people is they believe that timing is everything. And the problem is if you believe timing is everything, you'll never do anything. That's what it says in Scripture. I love this verse. Ecclesiastes 11, it says, Whoever watches the wind will not plant. And whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. In other words, if you're going on your AccuWeather app, looking at the market to see if you can give or serve or worried about your job being perfect, you will never do anything. In fact, I would say it like this, that perfectionism is the mother of procrastination. Perfectionism is the mother. God's timing has nothing to do with correct circumstances or setting. It has everything to do with the one who is calling you. So the right time is to do what God is asking right away. The right time is to do what God is asking right away. And here's the thing. You're probably just going to have to do it scared. You're just going to do it scared. You're going to step out in faith. Think about it. Moses is going to show up on the doorstep of Pharaoh. You don't think he's going to be scared? Who is it? It's his old half-brother Moses. Throws up, you know, his sign. I'm back. He's nervous. He goes to the elders of of the Jewish people who've been praying for 400 years for, for somebody to lead them out. He knocks on, who is it? It's your Redeemer. It's Moses. Moses. His knees are... Shivering, he leads the people into the wilderness, a million people. He walks them out of Egypt in a couple chapters. You don't think he turned around and he went, O-M, big G, right? Like, what are we doing? He gets to the Red Sea. He turns around and the Egyptians are coming after him because they've changed their mind. He's standing at a dead end and he is nervous. Listen, there's things that God is asking you to do and you're waiting for peace. And instead, you need to do it scared. You need to do it. You need to tithe scared you need to change careers scared you need to recommit to your marriage i don't know if my wife is going to reiterate my feelings do it scared like do everything in your life even when god is calling you there's going to be many times you're going to be 
you're going to be scared and it's going to be okay because many times God takes you to places where you have to just rely on him. Number three is this, is, is I think procrastination then at the end gets tied down in all the details. That's what we like to, we like to, okay, I'm just going to wait for a little bit more of the story, God. You want me to go? Okay, that's fine. But why don't you tell me how it's going to turn out tomorrow? Why don't you and me, why don't you give me a little bit more of the, of the story? Moses is, is here. Like, he wants to get a little bit more of the information. And, and here's what I need you to understand in Moses' case and in your case. We often want outcome followed by our obedience. That's how we like to live our life. We want, we want to see how it works out, and then we want to jump in a bandwagon, bandwagon faith. We don't want to see the story. We don't want to see if it's going to be difficult. We don't want to see the odd twists and turns. We don't want all that. We just want the outcome, and then we'll sign up. While God, he already has the outcome figured out, but that's not your job. So he says, you be obedient right now, and eventually you'll see the outcome. Your job is obedience, then outcome. And here's the truth. You can't handle the whole plan. Like if God were to give you every detail of every step of the plan between here and when it works out and show you all the odd twists and turns, you would never start in the first place. We always want the details. Our kids always want, where are we going? What are we doing? When are we stopping? How long are we going to be in there? Are we going there? Do we have to get out of the car? Yes, I'll get arrested, right? Like they always want all the details. We do the same thing with God. In fact, Moses starts going. God says, go. He starts going. Then a little bit later in the chapter, after he's already packed his bags up, gotten his camels, going through the desert, heading to Egypt. I think he could probably almost see it on the horizon. The Bible says in the middle, God begins to speak to him again. And God tells him in in Exodus 4.21, the Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I've given you the power to do. But I need to warn you that I'm going to harden his heart so that he will not let my people go. What? Why do you tell me that the burning bush? Because you would have never went. Throw down your staff, turns into a, into a snake, you know, put your hand in and out of your cloak, get leprosy, take it in, out, do blood into water, all that stuff. All right, let's go do this. By the way, it's going to be a lot harder than you think it is. And so what did Moses have to do? Can't worry about how hard it's going to be. He's walking in victory. Let me tell you why he's walking in victory. Not because of the outcome, but because of his obedience. See, at some point in your life, you're going to have to do what you can do in the moment. You're going to do what you can do. I love the part of the story where he says, what do you have in your hand? And Moses has his, his tool that he uses for, for hurting his staff. And the Bible says, throw it down. And God turns it into a snake. That's awesome. And he picks it back up. He says, there's, there's one trick for you. I got a lot more in my sleeve, right? But I love it because there's a, there's a, there's a practical lesson in it. When you lay down the things that are in your hands right now, God can release the things that are in his, his hands for you. That's how, that's how life works. When you hold on to stuff, when you hold on to your money, you hold on to your talents, you hold on to your finances, you hold on to your family, you hold on to your career, you, God cannot give you what you're not ready to grab. And so when you lay down whatever you have in your hand that he is calling you to lay down, it releases the blessings and the, and, and, and the, the things that you need from heaven to get into your life. And so you do what you can do. And then number two, you let God do what he can do. You allow God to do what he can do, what you cannot, 
what you cannot do. You'll notice this in scripture in Exodus 4, verse number 12. He says, now go. I'm done arguing with you. I'm done with these excuses or blah, 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 blah. I know who you are. I've been watching you for 80 years. Every step of your life, I've been protecting and guiding you without you even seeing it. I put you in a Nile and I sailed you and floated you to the princess so that you could be raised in the palace so that when you knock back on the door, they're actually going to let you in because they know who you are. They've they've actually, they're going to listen to your voice because they know who you are. And then I sent you in the wilderness. And I really want you to kill that guy, but we can work with that, right? I sent you to the wilderness and I let you spend 40 years in the place where you're going to lead the people into. You know the land. You know the weather patterns. You know where to go to get, to get supplies. You know what to do. You are prepared. Now, now go. And then he says this. And when you get there, I'll help you speak. And I'll teach you what to say. But you first have to go. You have to go. See, there's a bunch of you got excuses. Here's why I can't do this. Here's why I can't do this. Here's why I can't change. Here's why I can't commit. Here's why I can't give more. Here's why I can't serve more. Here's why I can't switch careers. I went to school for four years to be this. And so now my job takes me away from God all the time. And I know I can't because I, because I do this. And it's logical. And all these things are happening in your mind. Here's why I can't. But God's calling you to it. I can't tell you what God, but I, I know he is consistently taking us to a new level. I know that. I know he is consistently challenging me somewhere. I know he is consistently asking for more. And I know there's always a battle. The battle is excuses. The battle is it's not perfect. It's not perfection. The timing doesn't feel right. The the battle is I don't know exactly how it's going to work out. I love when people ask me, what do you think the next step is for church? I don't know. I've been walking scared for 10 years. But if he says to let something go, we'll let something go. If he says to move somewhere, we're going to move somewhere. We're going to do what God wants us to do. And we're going to step back and we're going to let him do what only he can do. And here's the thing about your life. And I've said this many times. If the life you're currently living is anything but as the result of a God-sized miracle, you are in the middle of procrastination. Because he has called you to do something immeasurably more than you could ever ask, dream, or imagine for his kingdom and ultimately for his glory. 